Hello, and welcome to The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Hindu-Muslim relations are in a rout. Fear and prejudice have been weaponized. Hindu nationalists fuel intercommunal strife by emphasizing an imaginary demographic threat. Muslims believe themselves to be in a situation similar to that of Jews in Germany in the 1930s that led to genocide. India's far-right Hindu nationalist movement, Rashitriya Sayamavsevak Sangi, or RSS, the ideological cradle of Prime Minister Narendra Modi and his cohorts, speaks of a thousand-year war while professing an interest in dialogue. The RSS is widely viewed as the catalyst of anti-Muslim violence and discrimination in India. The movement speaks to individual Indian Muslim leaders, but those conversations are mostly private and the Indian Muslim community has been unable to develop a leadership that can channel a dialogue that could produce results. Stepping into the breach is Indonesia's Nahadatul Ulama, arguably the world's most moderate Muslim civil society movement in the world's largest Muslim majority country and democracy. For Nahadatul Ulama, engagement with the RSS is part of a bold and risky strategy to persuade faith groups, including Muslims, to confront their troubled, often violent histories and problematic tenets of their religions that reject pluralism and advocate supremacy. For the RSS, engagement is about redressing historical grievances dating to centuries of Muslim invasions and rule, defending Hindus against perceived contemporary Muslim threats and ensuring that India is a Hindu rather than a non-discriminatory multi-religious state. That's a wide gap to bridge. To discuss all of this, I'm joined by A. Faizur Rahman, a prominent Indian Muslim thinker and Secretary General of the Islamic Forum for the Promotion of Moderate Thought. Most recently, Faizur authored a chapter on Muslimophobia in India in a just published edited volume, The Politics of Hate, that focuses on South Asia. The well-written, insightful chapter is a must-read. Also, for further background on all of this, please read my latest column at www.jamesmdorsey.net. Fazer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, James, for that lovely introduction. And, uh, and thank you also for having me on your show. It's a privilege to be here and to speak with you. The pleasure and the, honest, and the honor is mine, Fezur. Let's start with what is going on in India. We've seen in parts of India for the past two decades, and India as a whole since Prime Minister Narendra Modi first came to office in 2014, a spike in anti-Muslim violence and discrimination. At the same time, Hindu nationalists appear to be sending mixed messages. A BBC documentary denounced by the Indian government laid the blame for riots in 2002 in Gujarat, in which more than a thousand people, mostly Muslims, were killed squarely at the feet of Mr. Modi, who was then the state's elected leader. This weekend, Mr. Modi, in a rare conciliatory gesture, urged leaders of his ruling Bharatiya Janat Party, or BJP, to engage in dialogue with Muslims. At the same time, RSS leader Mohan Bhagwad spoke of a thousand year war and expressed regret for aggression against Muslims, adding that it was unavoidable. What's going on? And do you see an opening for a dialogue, Faisal? Yes. Uh, the opening for any dialogue, for a dialogue, is always there in any situation or any circumstances. Because um, it's only when our positions harden, and only when we become too rigid and flexible that we refuse a dialogue. But dialogue must be, um, must happen and it should be initiated. And I really appreciate it in the sense that 
the RSS chief, uh, Mr. Mohan Bhagwat, has been meeting some Muslim intellectuals and also has been sending out some uh, reconciliatory messages uh, in the media uh, to the Muslim community that, you know, after all, I mean, we, we have no problem with Islam. Uh, I, I really appreciate these initiatives from uh, Mr. Bhagwat and the RSS. Uh, but the whole problem, in my opinion, with this approach of the RSS has been it's melding, it's melding Indianness with Hinduness. You know, uh, uh, in an interview uh, about a year and a half ago, he he said that uh, he has no problem Muslims living in India. Well, that itself is a problematic statement, uh, provided he said that um, they accept India as their motherland, Muslims. Number one, number two, accept the traditions or the parampara and Sanskriti, its culture, uh, and three, uh, it uh, uh, you know that they should uh, 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 consider uh, uh, the respect the ancestors, the the saman purvaja you said, you know the common ancestors uh, of the Hindus and Muslims, uh, of course. Uh, on the face of it, Muslims have never had any problem with this. Muslims have always accepted India as their motherland. We have no problem. I'm an Indian Muslim. I'm, 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 a, I'm, proud, I'm, I'm very proud to be an Indian. And, but I thank God that my ancestors chose India over Pakistan after the partition. I couldn't have imagined a person like me staying in Pakistan and articulating my views free, freely. I can do it in India. So therefore, I'm proud to be an Indian. And I'm lucky to be an Indian, lucky to be in India, without, without any doubt. So we have accepted India as our motherland. We have absolutely no problem with our ancestors. And yet, uh, Mr. Bhagwat makes this a condition, um, as if Muslims have not been doing it. That is not true. So what, in my opinion, that needs to be done is uh, perhaps Mr. Bhagwat and his organization and other such organizations must be convinced by Muslim scholars, Muslim leaders, religious and secular leaders, that the reality is Indian Muslims are Indians in the totality first. We are Indians first and then perhaps Muslims later. Perhaps if this convincing message gets across to the other side, I mean, that could set the tone for a very meaningful dialogue with, the, with uh, Hindu organizations. That's my opinion. Thank you. Is that something that Nahalatul Ulama, as a non-Indian uh, organization, but a, Muslim, a major Muslim organization, can contribute to, can facilitate? Nahalatul Ulama has had an, a dialogue with the RSS now for the last two years. What is it that Nahalatul Ulama sees, do you think? And do you have you seen any results from that dialogue or an impact of that dialogue? Yeah. No, of course. Any dialogue from India or outside, uh, you know, that actually brings about harmony between communities is always welcome, whether it is by Nahdatul Ulama or any other organizations. In this context, the NU, that is Nahdatul Ulama, has been att attempting to reach out to the RSS and as I said, that um, they have been in touch with the RSS and in dialogue with it for the past two years. Uh, but unfortunately, the Indian Muslims, it has never been reported in the press, so they are not aware of this dialogue. They're not aware. And uh, even if they had been aware, uh, you know, uh, this is a dialogue which is happening between two organizations which are in two different countries. Indonesia, of course, the largest Muslim population is in Indonesia, and India is number two in terms of Muslim mm -hmm. population. Uh, but unfortunately, the Indian Muslims do not know by and large, such a dialogue is happening. And even such a dialogue, I mean, even, if, even, this, even uh, the fact that the dialogue is going on, uh, I do not know how much effect would it have on the Hindu-Muslim relations in India, because the dialogue has to be in the context of what's happening here. There's a lot of mistrust between communities. Um, you know, uh, uh, the, unfortunately, uh, this, there's very little being done to dispel, to remove this mistrust. So while I welcome the NU's dialogue with the RSS, what, needed, what needs to be done here uh, is such a dialogue must happen here. And, uh, and I, I would suggest that 
um, it is the larger group at the moment, the the Hindu groups led by the R because the RSS is the largest organization and the most influential organization, Hindu organization in India. So I think, and Mr. Bhagwat has been making some good statements of late. So I think it's um, up to the largest organization, Hindu organization in India, to come forward, extend its brotherly hand, because Mr. Bhagwat has always been calling Muslims, "Hamare bhai hain." So, like, we are, they are our brothers, of course. We, we reciprocate that honestly and sincerely. So, it is uh, this kind of organization which must come and and put a brotherly arm around our shoulders and you know, talk to us and stop suspecting them. Muslims are not deployed to India. They can never be. The, the, the very fact that we chose India or Pakistan is evidence to this. So I feel that such a dialogue must happen within India, between the large organizations such as RSS and other Hindu organizations and Muslim organizations. When I say Muslim organizations, I don't necessarily mean the religious organizations because religious organizations have been another problem. Perhaps we could discuss this later in the interview. But they uh, should have a dialogue with the largest community, which is moderate, uh, which is liberal, and which does not believe in any kind of uh, uh, exclusivism so it is it is with this kind of people that um, the hindu organization must have a dialogue and this must be a publicized public dialogue not private as you said yeah it sounds to me like you're advocating two different things even though they run parallel one is a broader dialogue within india itself among indians and two is a broader dialogue reaching out by Nahadatul Ulama to various Indian organizations, including Indian Muslims, uh, intellectuals, organizations. Uh, would that be a correct interpretation? Yes, of course. I mean, there's nothing wrong in, in, in sustaining and continuing the dialogue with NU in Indonesia. Certainly not. In fact, that should happen. And I think India was one of the prominent participants in the R20 recently at Bali. So I think that should go on. But then uh, what's happening here in India is almost next to nothing. There was a meeting between some Muslim intellectuals, a few of them, um, with, with Mr. Bhagwat. Uh, they, went, they went on record saying it in interviews to the media and writing articles about it. But the RSS itself has not so far acknowledged it. I wonder why. If such a dialogue is happening, there's nothing secret about it. After all, these two communities are Indians, basically. We are Indian communities. We are brothers, as Mr. Bhagwat says. And why should such a dialogue be closed doors, within closed doors? It should be an open dialogue. It should be publicized. And, and most importantly, it should be unconditional. It should be in a position to give and take. Because only a win-win situation in the end uh, is beneficial to both sides, not just a win-lose for either for any one of them. You you touched on a, a subject which is uh, I think very important, and that is who should the interlocutors be? Um, Nadatul Ulama is obviously an organization that is led by Islamic scholars and clerics, and it feels that the dialogue in India should be between religious figures, not only religious figures, but also religious figures. Uh, the question is whether that RSS wants to engage with religious figures or only with intellectuals and more secular people. No, at the moment, the RSS has been engaging with both kinds of people. On the one hand, it has been publicly meeting religious scholars. Uh, the RSS chief had uh, recently uh, met with some uh, uh, Muslim, a few Muslim clerics uh, at the same time. But that was acknowledged. That was in the media. Whereas the meeting with Muslim intellectuals, I think five of them, if I'm not wrong, uh, was not publicized. It was held in private. And that was disclosed only by one side, the Muslim side. The RSS has so far not acknowledged, acknowledged this meeting. So, uh, and this is what I think um, uh, needs to change. Uh, this dialogue must happen in open and, and with different stakeholders. 
see the <clears throat> the clerics uh, the ulama alone are not um, the representatives of muslims muslims are represented by a host of people they have political interests they have economic interest they have social interests same time religious interests so i think the dialogue must happen with various stakeholders not just any one set of people if i look at the uh, dialogue between nadatul ulama and the rss over the last two years my sense is that that dialogue has offered the rss far more than it's offered uh, nadatul ulama in the sense of legitimization by one of the world's foremost muslim civil society organizations but also given the uh, uh the concept of nadatul ulama of a humanitarian islam uh, an islam that is pluralistic and uh, in recognition of universal human rights that that the rss has been able to use that sort of as uh, as the, as a platform or as an ability to tell indian muslims this is what your islam should be would you agree with that assessment absolutely i have no issue Uh, with anyone telling muslims what islam is as long as that is the islam that is the islam uh, which is there in the quran because from uh, as far as i am concerned the the the, the um, original source of islam is the quran so any islam that comes outside the quran and conflicts with the quran cannot be the original islam as taught and preached by a prophet muhammad peace be upon him so therefore if the rss points out to muslims hey this is what your prophet taught and preached and why don't you adopt that i have no problem with anybody saying that to me certainly not but at the same time uh, they should also allow the muslims um, to say this to other hindu organizations including the rss that you know the kind of hindutva that you are propagating which we which to all of us sounds very exclusive uh it also not what hinduism or what is also known as originally the sanatan dharma the ancient dharma the ancient way of life stood for and and preached so that was very accommodative that did not lay down any conditions for instance um the sanatan dharma is actually more of a uh, philosophy and and and, and it, it it is an umbrella term which encompasses and accommodates within itself various philosophies both religious both theistic and sometimes even atheistic materialistic for instance the charvaka philosophy is almost atheistic even that is accommodated within hinduism it's a very broad term and is very accommodative and no conditions imposed so i think uh, the exclusive kind of hindutva uh, that rss Uh, and other hindu organizations um, propagate or uh, promote i in my opinion and in also in the opinion of many scholars among hindus many hindu scholars and also muslim scholars feel that that is not what original sanatan dharma or the hindu philosophy stands for perhaps the rss could reconsider its position uh, and move a little away from the sarvarkarian position of you know hindutva where only hindus are considered where, where the indianness is talked or spoken of only in terms of hinduness i mean then i mean you you're trying to synonymize in in a sense you know both hindu and indian i think um, that it's a little problematic perhaps the rss must reconsider uh, its position there if that happens if this is this is this is an exchange and if both sides understand this that yes the muslims cannot say you are a non muslim body you have no right to preach islam to us that would not be correct after all islam is for humanity anybody has a right to read the quran and, and understand it and even propagate it we we cannot monopolize the quran we cannot monopolize islam after all islam itself says it is for humanity in, in a similar way sanatan dharma the hindu the, the hindu tradition the hindu philosophy is also universal it can't be monopolized by any one group or a community i mean it belongs to all indians in a sense you know we are all indians that is that is what needs to be recognized so if there is if this exchange of thought is there where both sides 
are told see these are the universal values common to both these systems hinduism and islam sanatan dharma and islam i think let us let us i mean join together and work together to promote these values um, i mean you know i mean as brothers and sisters i think that would be a great thing to do rather than any one person saying that you know what i follow is the only right path this kind of exclusivism or uh, you know uh, where we say that only we are right and others are wrong i think should be avoided by all communities i i would i would go for such a dialogue and such a dialogue must always be uh, to to emphasize again unconditional this segues very nicely into my next question which is yeah. not at all ulama hopes that its willingness to confront head on intolerant and supremacist tenets of islamic law will convince the rss to develop a hindu equivalent of humanitarian islam that calls for pluralism and universal human rights and take a critical look at hindu theology history and anti-muslim attitudes is that something that you think is realistic yes of course certainly uh, the, the only thing is that you know i i have never considered uh, hinduism to be exclusive i have always considered hinduism to be a very moderate and 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 a, and a peaceful uh, philosophy or a tradition or a way of life dharma it it stands for peace it stands for harmony between communities it's accommodative it is inclusive you know this famous term vasudeva um, kudupakam which means uh, which which actually equates humanity with one family and uh, it it again the uh, these these terms are there in the upanishads the, the hindu texts such as the upanishads and also the vedas the rigveda and many other vedas these terms are there and there's another term uh, you know uh, in, in in hindu philosophy uh, which goes like this ekam sat vipra bahuda vadanti which means the truth is one sages call it by different names this is exactly what the quran says so there's absolutely no difference you know even the quran says i mean uh, islam is one religion islam is the islam is not in in fact you know i w- would want the muslims uh, to uh, i mean on, on the lines of what nu is doing you know to kind of dereligionize their faiths you know islam basically was never a religion it was a social movement basically it was a reform movement it it came to liberate humanity from the oppressive yokes it it was it it was made into a religion much later after the prophet the prophet was basically a reformer like any other person of course he spoke of worshiping of one god which is called tawhid and and you know he 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 never discriminated against communities he he took along everybody so and you know it it was needed people were oppressed in the name of different gods so he he had to talk about the one unique universal god in the circumstances that was the right thing to do but then he was not preaching a religion exclusively he was basically reforming society and at the same time liberating them from the oppressive yokes in the context of the prophet himself it was the meccan oligarchs who had actually imposed such a um, uh, what do you call um, enslave basically the people of mecca he was liberating them so in 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 this sense islam is a liberative movement uh, is it is an emancipatory uh, movement so uh, therefore if you try to confine islam to just reach, uh, to a ritualistic form of religion that would actually negate what the prophet stood for what the quran preaches and advocates so if, if the nu seems to be doing this certainly for instance the uh, i welcome the uh, uh, nu's idea that the word kafir cannot refer to non muslims it cannot the the idea of kafir in the quran is totally different from what we understand today what we are made to understand today by the clergy is totally wrong the 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 word comes from the word kufr kufr is usually translated as uh infidelity or lack of faith no kufr has been used in the quran in three broad meanings i mean i have i've written that in my article it won't stand for anybody who rejects faith or anybody who suppresses um, rejects truth or suppresses truth or is ungrateful this has been used only in these three meanings in the quran 
so it is it is more of an attitude of a person towards truth and and rationalism it is not it does not designate uh, the faith or the lack of it of any person so if this is understood there there won't be a major issue and and that this point was raised by uh, mr mohan bhagwat in one of uh, the discussions he had with multi muslim intellectuals he said that the muslim the indian the muslim must stop i'm sorry the, the muslim must stop calling hindus as kafirs infidels uh see uh, the 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 request or demand was legitimate certainly but there was one problem the muslims were not calling hindus kafirs at all I, I, the one problem that mr bhagwat has been exhibiting uh, you know throughout his uh, discourse with uh, or discussion with muslim is that you know whenever he refers um uh, to uh, i mean to something islamic he he tries to equate them with the entire muslim community you know uh, and that is not fair true uh, the, the muslim community neither in india or any other place is not monolithic and nor are they uh, uh, in agreement entirely with what the clerics say it is it, it is some fatwas it is some texts which are not which are post quranic post prophetic texts i'm not this word kufr or kafir has never been used in the quran or any of the prophetic hadiths to refer to non, to non muslims at all no this 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 comes much later all the texts that refer to such um, i mean i mean i mean uh, points to such linkages between uh, non muslims and uh, lack of faith are texts of fatwas basically which 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 came i mean i mean centuries after the prophets passing away so therefore it is it is a clerical problem it is not a communal problem the muslim community in india i have been here for a long time i have never seen any muslim my friend or anyone else i knew calling a hindu as a kafir no we always call them as hindus or sikhs or christians no i mean we never use them as we never call them kafir within i am part of a community i have never seen anybody calling a hindu a kafir so it is not muslims who are doing that it is there are some fatwas which make such a point we we have to question those fatwas and we have to disregard those fatwas and this is where i feel that the muslim clerics the muslim ulama must come forward and say that yes they may this this fatwas are there they, they were they were said long back that they do not they they are not relevant any longer they must come and say that openly issue another fatwa perhaps saying that non muslims are not kafirs that will set the tone that will remove a lot of mistrust between muslims and hindus here but unfortunately i have never seen any muslim organization coming out and clarifying that all i mean non muslims are not kafirs they have to clarify this they have to make a categorical statement to the effect unfortunately as far as i know to the best of my knowledge no prominent muslim religious organization has come forward and clarified this so that is a problem which the muslim community must overcome and here i feel that the muslim laity has also a role to play against the clergy they must pressurize they must come forward and, and influence the clergy to 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 come out of that medieval mindset and then i mean live in modern times you know i mean contextualize islam the clergy also has a responsibility in that sense so that this this will improve hindu muslim relations to a large extent in my opinion let me uh, i want to come back to the issues of uh, kafir as well as the bro- much broader issue of religious reform in a second let me just stick for a moment yet with the uh, with the rss yeah. sure which is sure. an almost 100 year old organization 5 million members strong and uh, the voice of militant hindu nationalism its influence has been obviously magnified with uh, its disciples in national government for the past 8 years is there any alternative to a dialogue with the rss and if not uh why have indian muslim leaders been unable to engage in the way that nadatul ulama has see there is no alternative to a dialogue see uh islam does not believe in violence the very name islam means peace so a muslim is one who stands for peace who upholds peace who promotes peace so therefore 
uh, in my opinion there is absolutely no uh, room for an alternative to a dialogue the quran is very clear about it and you know um, and even this dialogue the quran says um, needs to be done in a very beautiful way you know even if it's a even if it's a debate the verse in the quran which, which talks about it is wajadilhum billati ya ahsan the the verse begins this way udu ila sabili rabbika bil hikma wal mauzati al hasana wajadilhum billati ya ahsan so you invite people towards the way of god with with wisdom i mean not not being aggressive you you, you need to use wisdom you, you, you need to be very polite and then wal mauzati al hasana i mean you know you have to talk in such a language which actually softens people the word was in arabic means that which softens a speech or a talk that softens people not aggravates the situation so and then even if it has to be a jidal or or a debate because in in a dialogue there can be a debate sometimes you know the people may disagree so even that the quran says wajadilhum billati yahasa it has to be in the best possible way in a civil way so this is this is laid down in the quran itself and this is there's no alternative to this i mean there no there is absolutely no violence quran does not promote violence all those verses in the violence were in response to the attacks against islam and the muslims and they were only in self defense with the quran categorically stating that once they stop attacking you you have no right to even self defense so therefore in my opinion there is no alternative to a dialogue and if indian muslims the leadership is not in a position to to have a dialogue uh, with uh, uh, the rss or the hindu organization there are several reasons for this one the muslim uh, there is hardly any muslim organization uh, which is i'm i'm talking about muslim religious organizations uh, an organization which is liberal or moderate enough at the back of the mind all these organizations think that you know muslims some way are superior they have this supremacist understanding of islam i mean um, they also believe in what is what can be called uh, salvific exclusivism they believe that salvation is can only be for muslim this is a problem with almost um, many semitic religions you know or interpretations of semitic religions even the christians feel that salvation is only for christians and maybe other other others to feel maybe feel so but from islamic point of view uh salvific exclusivity is alien to the quran is alien to the prophet's teachings it is not part of those teachings at all the quran in very two powerful verses in uh, surah baqarah and surah uh, maida very clearly says that you know anyone who stands for peace anyone who 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 actually recognizes uh, you know the universal law of the creator i mean is fit to be saved so the quran does not speak of any kind of uh, exclusivism so but at, but muslim organizations at the back of the mind always feel that you know most of them feel that uh, i'm talking about religious organizations that you know muslims are uh, a better community or you know we, we we have the truth others don't so this attitude must go and this hinders a dialogue because i have many uh, many uh, muslim religious scholars have told me who have who have studied in madrasas have told me that even non muslims have no right to interpret the quran the quran can be interpreted islam can be interpreted or represented only by muslims that that is this is another problem the quran does make no makes no such distinction and neither did the prophet so where did we get this idea from all these things came much later during the uh, the caliphates several caliphates where where this ulama state nexus was there and, you know i mean i mean they, they they enjoyed a symbiotic relationship the ulama and the and the and the rulers you know they they and they, therefore you know, these people created all these things to um to let the rulers rule forever in a sense and and the rulers never interfered with the the fatwas and decisions of uh, the clergy so this system worked for a long time and this is where all these problems uh, the exclusivism or the hatred against non muslims or salvific uh, exclusivism came all came about so this the, if muslim religious organizations are willing to do away with this and and make islam and and restore the original inclusivism of islam that would be a great step forward and the other thing that may be hindering is 
the rss itself you know as i said sometimes speaks the language of exclusivism uh for instance i, I let me quote in, in a recent interview uh, mr bhagwat i have it with me here he says that hamare bharat mein jo musliman hai wo rehna chahte hain i mean wo rehna chahte hain rahe purvajon ke paas wapas aana chahte hain aaye it says that hamare bharat mein in our in our country in our india the muslims who are here if they want to stay here let them stay i mean we have no problem woh rehna chahte hain rahe purvajon ke paas wapas aana if they want to come back to the ancestral way of life what is known as ghar wapasi kind of you know to go back to the hindu roots they are free to come so here the exclusivity here is that you know uh, mr bhagwat and his organization seems to have at the back of the mind that india is basically a hindu nation and uh, we only accommodating the muslims and i think this fallacy this is a fallacy and then perhaps the rss needs to address that so this hinders an open dialogue with the muslim community also or even with the muslim clergy so the in fact what i'm saying is there's a clash of exclusivisms here at the moment so this class of exclusivisms must give way to an inclusive dialogue and you know other other part of the mr bhagwat said was you know uh, he said that yes they can be here or come back to our ancestral way of life lekin uh, they must give up certain things the muslims and what is the certain things that they are willing to they must give up uh, they must they must stop saying um ek samay hum raja the hum phir raja banenge ye chhodna padega the mr bhagwat says uh, this was quoted by uh, the organizer the rss uh, publication he says that uh, the muslims if they start saying that once we ruled india and we would like to rule india again they have to stop saying this of course nothing wrong in the such a statement i and i would entirely agree uh, with mr bhagwat there of course but the, the problem is muslims are not saying it mr bhagwat himself does not quote or did not quote a single instance of the muslim community as a whole saying it or even even a small uh, group among muslims saying that we ruled india and uh, we want to rule again no no muslim says that even muslim religious organizations have not made any such statement so there is no evidence to the fact that muslims hold such views in india no so then why does mr bhagwat say that say uh that you know muslims must stop doing this when they're not even doing it so i feel that you know this this lack of trust i think this all boils down to lack of trust perhaps uh, uh, uh mr bhagwat uh, has been not uh, i mean it's not fully um uh, what do you call um, um and has not been fully updated with what's going on uh, and perhaps he must visit a lot of muslim communities he must come and talk visit muslim people muslim societies he must visit different mosques to to meet them this outreach he can do to know what what's in their mind this is this will be a good step forward but instead if he just makes statements and 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 and, and the other part is all these statements are only made to rss uh, publications or as or at rss or hindu functions uh, i think mr bhagwat must also speak to the other media organizations they must also come out come out and talk to muslims uh, muslim organizations muslim uh, people basically there should be a people to people contact because believe me when i tell you this james at the people to people level in india there's hardly any problem between muslims and hindus i i live in chennai i have no such issue i have gone to delhi i have gone to nagpur i have gone to many other places i don't see any problem between hindus and muslims there's no problem at all so mr if the hindu organizations to reach out uh, to muslim society in general at the grassroots level they will find that the muslims in india love the country the muslims in india are totally as loyal as any anybody any citizen can be they have we have no problem we, we are lucky to be here we say we, we are very happy to be here not talk about that at the same time the muslim religious leaders must also stop believing that you know Uh, all the hindus are like some organizations uh, for instance there was this recent dharam sansad in haridwar wherein calls for a muslim genocide were issued of course the case is going on 
uh, you know, uh, a case has been filed against such people. The entire Hindu community does not is, is not represented by these people. The Hindu community in India is a very moderate, peace-loving community. The Muslim clerics must also realize this and and go out and reach out to Hindu communities and, and talk to them. And this this is what will, in my opinion, will will uh, will bring both communities together. If we just let organizations talk between themselves or talk privately, nothing is going to change much. So uh, I would suggest that there should be a movement at the grassroots level to bring the two communities together and establish, I mean, talk of in a peaceful way, in an unconditional way, and in a way that actually promotes brotherhood and sisterhood in the sense. So I think if both communities, because from the Hindu point of view, I consider the RSS to be the most influential organization in India at the moment. So if if it comes from that side, he, they are our elder brothers. Bhagwaji is like our elder brother. So therefore, if he initiates a grassroots connection, a contact between the Muslims, I think a lot can happen. Muslims will, will certainly come forward, and you know, uh, we will 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 extend the hand of friendship. It's not that they are enemies at the moment. No. At the moment, we have no issue with any any Hindu people, I mean Hindu community or any any Hindu group. Certainly not. It is the other side which seems to have some issue with us at the moment. And all is all these things are based on um, what do you call misinformation. For instance, demography. Muslims are trying to uh, outnumber the Hindus. No, it's just not possible. They're not even doing it. All these fertility rates are falling, which I've uh, which I've written in my in my chapter in the book that you quoted. I have given reasons that Muslims um, uh, Muslims are not doing any kind of jihad, whether it is Corona jihad or love jihad. There's no evidence again. Courts have said that. So this is based on some perceptions, perceptions which are not based on facts. So if these misconceptions are clarified, uh, you know, uh, and if they are overcome, I think that nothing can that prevent. India, uh, I mean, uh, Indian Muslims and Hindus from coming together and working towards the progress of our country and making it the Vishwaguru that the Prime Minister has been talking about. It's, it's, it, is, it, is, it is very much possible. Not that the people-to-people level there is uh, any problem at the moment. No, there's no problem between Hindus and uh, Muslims at the moment at all at the people-to-people level. It is only in some pockets uh, due to some uh, Western interest creating these issues. Otherwise, there's no issue. So now what has happened is because of these vested interest groups, a lot of moderate Muslims and moderate Hindus are afraid to come out and speak up for harmony. So if this initiation, uh, this initiative is taken by the RSS and reciprocated wholeheartedly by the Muslim leadership and even the community, I think that would pave the way for, I mean, for a wonderful uh, Hindu-Muslim unity in this country. Uh, I want to focus for a minute on w- one thing that you said, which is sort of the definition that the RSS uses. I've heard some Muslim figures say that, in fact, the RSS definition uh, of who is a who is a Muslim or even who is a Hindu is an inclusive one, and they basically argue that the RSS defines Hindu uh, the, a Hindu as cult- in cultural terms. And refers to that as being to, as that including anybody who lives in India, and doesn't refer to Hindu as such as a religious group. Would you agree that that is uh, the RSS's definition in your understanding, and would that be a healthy a basis for dialogue? See, uh, I mean, uh, this, as I said, you know, the melding of Indianness uh, with. Um, Hinduness has always been a problematic thing because the the term Hindu has never been associated with Indianness in the past. Uh, no historian has ever associated with Indianness itself. The Hindu uh, historically has been used for uh, the, the the religion of people beyond the river Indus this side. So it 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 has been of course it 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 may include the culture too, but. At the same time, there existed parallel communities in India which were not Hindu in their outlook. Because in India, even within the Hindu community, for instance, the cultures vary. If if Mr. Bhagwat is talking about cultural nationalism, 
or cultural hinduism which makes all indians culturally one again that is not only historically but factually not possible because factually speaking the culture in india differs from state to state the culture in bengal of course an excellent culture but it differs from the culture of tamil nadu it will differ from the culture of maharashtra it will differ from the culture of kashmir certainly so all these are all indian states these are all indian regions and there are hindus and muslims for instance a hindu a muslim in tamil nadu will be culturally close to the tamils here for instance the the festival of pongal if you see the festival of pongal is celebrated both by muslims and hindus although it's not a muslim festival but culturally lot of uh, muslims here are tamils and therefore they have no problem in celebrating a festival called pongal similarly muslim may be doing that in bengal they 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 they, they will be culturally closer to even bengali hindus but they may not be culturally closer to say maharashtra hindus that doesn't make them anti hindu similarly if, if muslims don't celebrate diwali or deepavali here it doesn't mean that they are opposed to any hindu festival no it is that that you know they have been enculturized in a certain environment and that process of enculturation has happened historically over a, over long periods of time so therefore my argument is there is not one culture in india that can be termed as hindu or muslim or bengali or or um, or tamil or any other all these cultures are there in those regions certainly and all are indian cultures I, I, anybody following that culture is as much an as an indian is much an indian as a person in in maharashtra following the hindu culture there the hindu culture there differs from the bengali hindu culture doesn't mean that they are opposed to each other culture is geographical culture is traditional in many sense i mean uh, there are various um, i mean i mean the history i mean the theory is basically heredity there are, there are a variety of histories to that so i i feel that if mr bohan bagat or dharasas wants to um kind of talk about just one culture that is that is does not exist in india i mean india is i mean a place of various cultures a variety of cultures coexist peacefully has have been coexisting peacefully so now if you try to um limit it to one and impose it on others and make it conditional uh um, to establish a person's indianness i think that would not be very good in terms of uh, what you call bringing about uh, communal harmony i think we need to believe in the age old doctrine of india called unity in diversity we have been united despite our diverse uh, religions cultures and habits and traditions we have been living as indians ever since independence there has never been a problem so why should it happen now therefore i feel the mr bhagwat and um the rss must be a little more accommodative uh, of other cultures and not to define them in terms of any one culture i think uh, therefore i feel that uh, that may not be the right way to move forward at the moment uh, we've touched quite a bit during this conversation on the issue of religious reform um but i'd like to go a little bit deeper in that you've said in this conversation but also in your chapter you've argued that muslims need to clarify their beliefs by stressing that india is not part of the muslim notion of dar al harb or the abolition war yeah. and like nadatul ulama declare that the concept of a kafir or infidel does not apply to non-muslims you've also explicitly called in the chapter for theological reform My question is are we talking about jurisprudential reform here in the way that Nadatul Ulama does and if so wouldn't that not only apply not to concepts of the kafir or and Dar al Harb but also to issues such as the zimis the people of the book uh in in Islamic law or uh for example issues such as apostasy and blasphemy yes Yes, certainly. See, uh, it has to be two-pronged. The approach has to be two-pronged. The jurisprudential reform uh, 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 or reform itself can be jurisprudential as well as social. Jurisprudential, jurisprudential in the sense that, for instance, in India, we had a recently a problem of triple talaq or instant talaq, where 
the husband has a right a muslim husband has a right to simply divorce his wife and throw her out of the house just by pronouncing the word pronouncing the word talaq thrice in quick succession in 3 seconds flat the wife becomes the wife is rendered a stranger and thrown out of the house this is totally un islamic there is nothing to support this jurisprudential uh body call practice uh but it had it was it was it had been happening for for ages in india so but finally the supreme court stepped in and invalidated it and that was an excellent judgment i welcome and we all welcome muslim welcome the judgment so uh, had such such had the muslim themselves done this there were there would have been no need for the supreme court to intervene the supreme court intervened correctly and it was excellent judgment triple talaq has no place in islam the same way there are many other jurisprudential issues which affect the community within that such reforms must happen and there are other reforms legally uh, also which you should be done which affect other community you mentioned blasphemy and apostasy apostasy affects the people within islam of course anybody who rejects islam is termed an apostate and he is liable to be killed according to many uh, islamic uh, schools of thought the, here again uh, this is not based on the quran or any authentic prophetic hadith these are all based on fatwas on texts that came centuries after the prophet had passed away is be upon him and these have to go blasphemy again affects a non muslim basically if somebody accuses or uh, uh, what you call um, uh, even criticizes any islamic figure that's considered as blasphemy and in pakistan recently they have expanded the blasphemy law they have strengthened it further i believe and uh, they have severely said that it's not just any blasphemy against the prophet but against his companions and uh, his his wives and uh, other relatives will also be considered as blasphemy and and can be um, you can be jailed for 10 years with with heavy fine of of a million rupees or something uh, i mean once again th- there should be reform here mainly because any law that you formulate in islam in the name of islam in the name of sharia must satisfy two basic conditions the first condition is it should be based on the quran it should not violate the quran or it should not violate number two any prophetic statement but most of these laws as you see on blasphemy and apostasy completely violate the quran and prophetic statements on blasphemy the prophet who has been very clearly said in the quran that yes these people have abused you these people have called you names these people have caused you harm but the quran says have patience with them and you know overlook and forgive them in chapter 5 the words used are overlook and forgive them afwa forgive them this is the instruction of the prophet and prophet and and, and in chapter 73 in surah muzammil uh, the prophet has been very categorically told was uh, bir uh, i'm quoting the quran here wasbir ala ma yaqulun ahjurum hajran jamila have patience with whatever they say be patient with what they say their abusive statements and disengage from them in a dignified way ahjurum hajran jamila jamil is beautiful in a beautiful way disengage from them without antagonizing them or abusing them back and this is exactly how the prophet behaved through his life there's a, there's a there's a there's a statement of his aisha hazrat aisha his wife uh, who says that the prophet was a walking quran meaning he lived the quran basically he walked the quran he is not just he struck the quran he also walked the quran according to hazrat aisha his wife so the prophet did nothing and in fact he's categorically he's made to categorically state in the quran itself i of my own self cannot change the quran i only follow what has been revealed to me this is the quranic statement so now when the prophet himself have stated so clearly that he will not go against the quran and he has never gone against the quran all he has to he has been doing is following what has been revealed to me revealed to him in the quran then how can we later on make laws that violate the quran certainly these laws therefore for this fundamental reason cannot be uh tenable under islam so therefore reform has to come there without any doubt 
because this affects non-Muslims. Anybody can in Pakistan. It is it is used. I'm told to settle scores with non-Muslims. If if somebody wants some property, I've read in in the, in the media, if somebody wants any property of somebody, all that you need to do is accuse him of blasphemy and blackmail him. This these are all media reports from Pakistan. So I feel that you know certainly these reforms are needed within Islam, and that will uh, that will also restore faith in others. I mean, I mean faith of others in Muslims. They will they will start believing that yes, Islam is not religion. I mean, which practices these things is is basically religion where justice is ensured, peace is ensured. So that that if this is the perception that you need to build, the Muslim. Clergy must come forward and reform the laws, jurisprudentially and socially, and all those laws that affect both Muslims and non-Muslims. Indeed, uh, unfortunately, we're coming towards the end of this conversation. But before I let you go, I want to touch on one other issue of reform that you have um, highlighted in um, in the chapter in in your in the the edited volume that I haven't heard most other Muslim reformers talk about. And that's the principle of dawah, of proselytization, yeah. which you described yeah. as a tool of Islamic supremacism. Can you elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, the, the word dawah actually means invitation. I just quoted a verse before, I mean, a few minutes ago during this conversation, where the Quran it's the verse starts this way. Udu ila sabili rabbika bil hikmah. Udu, this is where the dawa comes from. Udu dawa. Udu is invite. Dawa is invitation. So udu ila sabili towards the path of God. Bil hikmah with, with wisdom. But now Muslims have given up this wisdom, and and they also forgotten what the invitation means to the peace of the path of God. What does the path of God signify? Does the path of God signify uh, uh, does, does it signify religious rituals? Is the Quran talking about inviting people to grow a long beard, inviting people to wear a hijab, or inviting people to uh, what do you call uh, pray five times a day? Of course, these are all uh, praying five times a day. Is a, it is a, it is a, it is an obligatory practice, no doubt. Of course, these are Islamic practices. But is the Quran referring to these practices, or is it talking about the, the general way of life, you know, where 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 justice, peace, and equity, harmony, is ensured. The values, the value system. This is what the Quran is referring to. You have to invite people to a common value system. And there's, there's another verse which says that it says, uh, It tells to the people of book. The people of book could be anybody. It could also not just the Christians and Jews. It could be anybody with the book. Even the Hindus could be. Uh, included in that term. So basically, it's, it's t- telling to all people, let us come to common terms, meaning let us find what is common between us and follow that. This is the path of God. The path of God does not mean that you invite person to something which is exclusively yours and tell him, if you don't do this, you're not part of this faith. You're outside it. That is not what the Quran is telling. That is the hikmah the Quran is talking about. It has to be done in hikmah. Hikmah or wisdom demands that we invite people to something that is common because otherwise, why would, why would another person come to a path which is exclusively mine and he has nothing there? There's there nothing in it for him. So, so Islam is so inclusive that all it expects of you is to be a peace-loving person. That, what, that, that is what Islam signifies. Islam means peace. The Muslim is a person who follows Islam. In other words, the Muslim is a person who upholds peace. So this is what the Quran says, you know, uh, uh, that Islam is the religion. Basically, and the, the, the term religion again is not part of Islam, not part of the Quran. What is translated as religion in the in, in various uh, Quranic translations is the, is the term deen. Deen is can be synonymous with dharma of the of the Hindu faith or then of the Zoroastrian faith, you know, where you know we talk about a way of life, a universal way of life. So this universal way of life where the values are common. I mean, uh, not cheating anybody, not fooling anybody. I mean, uh, uh, not being unjust and being, uh, I mean, being just to people, spreading peace and and, and uh, harmony. These are our values which are common to all systems, whether Hindu, Christian or Muslim. So this is what the Quran also reminds you. 
and tells you that you have to invite them. There may be people who are violent. For instance, in the context of Makkah, the people were violent. People were calling them to an exclusive set of gods, wherein they were using those gods, they were exploiting people by taking a lot of money from them and bribes from them in the name of appeasing those gods uh, to sort out other issues, social issues. The Prophet said, no, this is not, can't be true. There can't be so many gods. This is, it, it, it was in this context that the Prophet talked about one universal God, the concept of Tawheed. So what when, it, when we invite people to God, this is what we're inviting to. But today, the word Dawa has been so misunderstood and so, I mean, um, they have made it so narrow that, uh, for instance, a Salafi would invite a person only to the Salafi path of God, so-called Salafi understanding of Islam. Wherein, you know, you can't even, for instance, there's, there's this uh, uh, so-called televangelist named Zakir Nayak. He says that Muslims should not wish Christians on Christmas. Muslims should not wish Hindus on Diwali. They should not wish other Hindus on Pongal. In short, Muslims should not wish any non-Muslim on their festivities, on their festivals. Because once you do that, you become like them. You, you 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 become appreciating those festivals. You should not be doing that because Islam is exclusive. And if you adopt that, you, you I mean you're going away from Islam. This is not Islamic. This is not what the Prophet taught. This is not not the, what the Quran stands for. This is not Dawa. If you're inviting people, uh, you know, to a, to a, this path of Allah, so-called this path, this path is not the path of God at all from from a Quranic or a prophetic point of view. So this is what I was criticizing. I was not criticizing the idea of Dawa itself. The idea of Dawa is Quranic. But what is that idea of Quranic Dawa? It is not what Zakir Naik kind of people are preaching. So my criticism is against that kind of a Dawa where you call people to an exclusive way of life which is completely antithetical to what the Prophet and the Quran stood for. This is one... Um, before I, uh, I mean... Forget. I, let me touch. I, uh, let me also tell you, as, as I wrote in that article, uh, there are some groups which, which believe that India is Darul Harb, the abode of war or land of war. No, certainly not. For me, India is Darul Aman. It is a land of peace. Muslims are able to live in peace. More Muslims are killed in Pakistan today, the Ahmadis and the Shias, through bomb blasts. Of course, yes, we have a problem in India. I mean, there are there are some organizations which are calling for the lynching of Muslims. And luckily, uh, and it's, it's a good thing that the Mr. Bhagwat has also said that lynching is against Hindutva. He has he made it categorically, but I think he should come out further and you know call for action against these people who are doing it, call for legal action. And these people must be booked and, uh, and, and, and as they tried under the law. And at the same time, the people who call for genocide, whether they are Muslims or Hindus, who were called for violence must be booked under the law. So I think if this happens, these are all these are all happening, no doubt. These are all have in the recent past increased, no doubt about that. But by and large, India happens to be a peaceful place. I I I mean, you know, I cannot think of myself living in Pakistan and making all these uh, comments and writing all those articles from Pakistan. Many, many Muslim scholars in Pakistan were forced to migrate from Pakistan to go to US or Canada or other countries to even voice their opinions. That is not the case for Muslims in India so far. I feel that in that sense, India is a Darul Aman, is a board of peace. Yes, there are issues. There are issues, and this is where I feel that people like Mr. Mohan Bhagat must come out, put the foot down, and say that anybody, even if it happens, if, 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 if happens, especially if it happens to be, or even if that such a person happens to be, a group happens to be from within the Hindu fold, we will not tolerate any violence or statements that promote violence. If this is done, I think everything is sorted out. But at the moment, yes, it, it is happening. Yeah. Law is, law is I, I mean, the law is invoked against the people who have been lynching and making those statements. Uh, the, I mean, the courts, have, uh, courts are seized of the matter, the courts are going on, the cases are going on, no doubt about that. But there should be, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if these if this such, such statements and activities are entirely stopped, and Muslims totally reciprocate and consider Hindus also their brothers. And I think I, I don't see uh, uh, any reason why um, uh, Hindu-Muslim unity should come about sooner than later.
Fraser, on that note, unfortunately, time flies. Yes, we could easily talk for another hour or so. Absolutely. This has been <laughs> extremely informative and extremely enlightening. Thank you very much for joining me, joining the show, The Turbulent World with James M. Dorsey. And we hope to have you back on the show very soon. Inshallah, inshallah. Thank you so much for having me, James. And uh, have a great day. And thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Also, thank you to all who have demonstrated their appreciation for my column by becoming paid subscribers. This allows me to ensure that it continues to have maximum impact. Maintaining free distribution means that news websites, blogs, and newsletters across the globe can republish it. If you are able and willing to support the column, please become a paid subscriber by clicking on Substack on the subscription button at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com and choosing one of the subscription options or support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mideast Soccer. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. Thank you. Take care and best wishes. Thank you.